If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Exodus 20, verse 15. I'm grieving just a little bit. Uh, This is the first Reformation Sunday in two decades. I think that I haven't preached a Reformation sermon. It just didn't fit into the preaching calendar this time around. So uh, you're probably not grieving. I'm grieving. I like historical theology. Actually, that was my major in undergraduate studies. Uh, Reformation theology is what I uh, majored in. You probably didn't even know that was a major. I know, it's bizarre. But today we're in Exodus 20, verse 15. Let's ask God to guide us. Father God, as we look at the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. We ask that you would apply it rightly to our hearts, that you would allow me to divide it accurately from your word, that we would take your inspired and errant word, Lord, and chew on it, and by your spirit, see those areas where we're men and women of great integrity, and also see those areas where we're men and women that need to shore up a spot or two. Father, apply your word to us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. According to American baseball folklore, the following took place in a day and age where if you were not in the stadium... The only way to access a game was by radio. And as it turns out, this particular story is of the Detroit Tigers. And it was the ninth inning. There were two outs. They were down by a run. The tying run was on first base. And those in the dugout did not tell him to steal the base. They did not give him a steal signal. But as the pitcher began his wind-up, the player began to run as hard as he could towards second base. And he was thrown out by a mile. It wasn't even close. And the announcer, those were in kinder days than they are today, said, I don't know what got into him. He has lead in his feet, but larceny in his heart. And that's kind of come down in baseball lore. He's got lead in his feet, but larceny in his heart. And I would suggest to you that it's not just a few baseball players that have larceny within their hearts. I think the desire to take what doesn't belong to us is a widespread desire in the world today. I want to pick on a moment, California, Proposition 47. The year was 2014 in which it passed. And if you're familiar with Proposition 47, they deem that as long as you don't steal more than $950, you cannot be charged with a felony. You can only be charged with a misdemeanor. So when you go shoplifting, add up those tags. Make sure it doesn't go beyond 950. 
In fact, we have three major Robin Hood cities in California. A Robin Hood city is it's somewhat legal to steal from the rich and give to the poor. That's Los Angeles, that's San Francisco, and that's the capital of the state. So we have three Robin Hood cities. In those cities, if you steal less than $950, the police know not to arrest you. So if you're in Sacramento, don't worry about it, steal 949. The police are not going to arrest you because they know that a prosecution will not succeed in their local courts. And so that has spun many, many stories. You may be aware that CVS, 7-Eleven, Target, Neiman Marcus, and a number of other store chains are pulling out of those three cities, or at the very least, they're closing before dark because they cannot make a profit. Although I don't watch YouTube, this is a YouTube video. It happens to be in a Walgreens. In case you're wondering, I only took about 9.48 that day, so I'm pretty good. But it's not just pharmacies that are getting hit. I mentioned Neiman Marcus. Not that long ago, 10 men coordinated went into Neiman Marcus and stole designer bags. Each one made sure it was worth less than $949. That prompted Governor Newsom to create a new law that made it legal, a 2021 law, to prosecute now as a felony if you steal under $950. But there's two caveats. First, there's gotta be a group of you stealing, and each need to steal stuff, and second, you need to be caught reselling it online. So the way I look at it is I need to steal by myself, and I don't put it online right away. To all of this, the Eighth Commandment says, Thou shalt not steal. Now you might push back and say, That was cute, Jeff. You pushed on a state that isn't ours, a city or three cities that aren't ours. This obviously has nothing to do with us. Well, I did that on purpose because I kind of wanted to lower the tension because now I'm about to raise it. Because thou shalt not steal. Steal is the Hebrew word ganaf. It has a wide spectrum of applications. And we're going to look at about a half a dozen today. The first is taxes. I'm not in favor. I don't much like taxes. But I pay my taxes for three reasons. I love my state. I love Wisconsin. I love my nation. I love the United States, and I love my God. And my God says that I need to pay the taxes that I honestly owe. Let me read out of Romans. I'm going to read from Romans 
13, verses 6 and 7. For because of this, this is, God has established the government. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. And I realize the rest of the verse isn't up there, but I'll read it. Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The text tells us that we are to pay our taxes because God has ordained the government. He has placed the government in authority. And in fact, didn't Jesus say, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar when he took a coin and he said, render to God what belongs to God. Literally, render to God what has the image of God. By the way, who has the image of God? We do. Render to God all of ourselves because God owns us. But he started out by saying, render to Caesar, and he's holding a coin, pay the tax to Caesar. Now, I'm a little bothered by this because I don't always agree with what my government does. Do you? Always? Probably not. I'm guessing that Jesus didn't agree with everything his government, the Roman government did. But did you know Jesus paid taxes? We don't need to guess. We read it in scripture. Matthew 17, 24 and 5. It says this. When they came to Capernaum, that would be the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. So it's up north in Israel. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. That is, Jesus pays the tax. Now, you probably know the rest of the account. Jesus cheats, doesn't he? He does a miracle. I wish I could do a miracle to pay the IRS and Wisconsin. Because at this point, Jesus doesn't have a job. His job is as an itinerant preacher. He's no longer doing the carpentry dig, so he does a miracle but I don't like the way I just said that. In fact, the way I just said it misses the point. He did a miracle to pay his taxes. Does Jesus just do miracles for nothing? Are miracles something that are so common and so without value that Jesus just does them? He did a miracle to pay Rome. And don't miss the point. Rome is a violent, murderous, totalitarian, idolatrous regime. Let me prove it to you. Every Jew at this point is a slave of Rome. The collective boot of Rome is on the throat of every Jew. During Jesus' lifetime, while he was alive, Rome murdered 30,000 Jewish men by crucifixion. You actually never removed the upright poles at a place called Golgotha. You only took down the side poles as you nailed people, person after person, 
We know for a fact historically during Jesus' lifetime, 30,000 Jews were murdered by crucifixion, almost certainly including Jesus' father, Joseph. That's probably how Joseph died. They served the Roman pantheon, including the high god Jupiter. The Greek correspondent is Zeus. Do you know when we go to Israel how we know where the holy sites are? Without exception, almost. We know where the holy sites are because Rome built a temple or an altar to a false god. Everywhere Christians gathered together, everywhere we would gather to worship the Lord because it had significance from the Bible, they built an idol to desecrate the site. Who murdered Jesus, humanly speaking? Well, our sin did. But who murdered? It was Rome. How many temples have we had? Two. The first was destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. Who destroyed the second? Rome. We're going to get a third. But we've only had two temples of God and Rome destroyed, burned it to the ground. Now when I get to heaven, maybe like some of you, I've got this list of questions I want to ask. Not arrogant questions, just I want to know questions. I think what's really going to happen is I'm going to see Jesus and I'm going to fall on my knees in such wonderment and awe and worship that I'll forget my questions. But one of the questions I would like to ask is, why Jesus? A brutal, murderous, idolatrous, totalitarian regime. And you paid your taxes. And you tell me to imitate you. Why? I don't know the answer. But we are to obey the Lord. And a form of stealing is not giving Wisconsin or the IRS what they require. Now, most of us have W-2s or W-4s. We have some form that tells the government what we make. But some of us have hidden income. I have hidden income. I have income that the government does not know about. It's not significant, but I have some. Often when I do a wedding or I do a funeral, I'm given an honorarium, and I usually split it with some of my co-workers who help behind the scenes, but whatever I keep, did you know that the government requires me to claim it on my taxes? Sometimes I speak outside of Highland. I do that almost annually at uh, Four Springs, but man, they send in something to the government. They rat me out. It doesn't really help. But what if I speak somewhere else? What would you do? What about me? The Eighth Commandment says, you shall not steal. Ganaf, and it covers my taxes. Another form of stealing is employee merchandise theft. Suddenly, my illustration in San Francisco is a distant memory because this affects all of us. Most statisticians would say that employees stealing from employers 
is between a 50 and $60 billion loss in the United States every year. 50 or $60 billion taking things. And, and I'm sure some would say, well, my employer doesn't pay me what I'm worth, so this is how I even it out. And my heart goes out to you if your employer doesn't pay you what you're worth. But you got to look for another job. That's the answer. To be dishonest is not. But it's not just merchandise stolen. It's ours stolen. While employees take 50 to $60 billion in merchandise, that's only a quarter of the problem. Between 150 and $160 billion is stolen in time from employees to employers. Coming late, leaving early, taking extended breaks, playing on one's phone, doing social media when we're supposed to be working. This is all employee theft. Now, I want to be careful with the phone thing. Just because somebody's on their phone doesn't mean they're stealing. Highland has either three or four lines, and we have a lot of employees, so a lot of us use our phones to, to talk or to answer messages or email. I use it sometimes to actually read articles if I'm not at my desk. So just because someone's using their phone doesn't mean they're stealing, but we know that a lot of time theft does exist. We are told that many American products have a 30% theft surcharge. That is about a third of what we pay of an American product is from employee theft that we have to pay at the counter. Suddenly, this isn't a San Francisco problem. This is a problem all of us interact with. And the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Now, I look out and I suspect that some of you are utterly amazing employees. I work with some incredible gals and guys. They just are, are incredible. I think they live Colossians 3, 23 and 24, which says that there is a higher motivation than our paycheck, a higher motivation than pleasing our corporation. We are to work to please the Lord. Let me read from Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so the highest motivation for a Christ follower at work is that we serve the Lord. We are serving for his glory, for his reputation. And I know that many of you do so exceptionally well. But it's not just employees that rob. Some employers rob as well. If we're not paying a reasonable wage, we're stealing. And we might be surprised, but there is biblical evidence that when we don't pay a reasonable wage, the cries of the individual who is underpaid actually go up to the Lord. I'm not making it up. Let me read from James 5, verse 4. It says this. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, 
some scholars believe that means they weren't paid at all. I don't think that's correct. I think the majority of scholars think that they were underpaid. So they were underpaid, and they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So if you and I are here and we have some say in the wages of those who work under our supervision, it behooves us to make sure that we are paying a fair wage. Otherwise, we are in violation of the Eighth Commandment that says thou shalt not steal. Another form of theft is usury. Usury is charging an exorbitant interest rate on a loan. If you've read the Torah, the first five books of Scripture, you know that usury comes up over and over again. Let me just read one passage to us. It's Exodus 22, 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor, do not charge usurious rates. Now, some translations read, don't charge any rates. I think this is actually more accurate. Do not charge usurious rates. You shall not burden him with exorbitant interest. So if somebody comes and you loan, you and I are to loan with a reasonable rate. But that's not true where we live, not in every case. We have usury services, payday loans. There's about 30-some within a small distance of this church. Uh, you may wonder, hmm, I wonder what they would charge me if I borrowed from a payday loan, a 90-day loan. Well, if you are in about 45 of the states of our country, the average high rate is 38.5% interest. That's serious. But there are five states that have no upper limit. You're living in one. We have no upper limit. So I thought, I wonder what would happen if I went online like I was going to borrow $1,000 and I went on these sites. I wonder what they're going to charge me. And by the way, if you go on these sites, you can do it today. A couple of you will. Um, you'll have a hard time figuring out what they're going to charge you. You have to go all over the website. It's not out front. The lowest I found in this area was 27%. The highest I found was 81.29%. Did you hear that number? 81.29%. And it's legal where you and I live. Now, if it's a three-month loan, if I don't pay it off in three months, after that, it is annualized at 33%. That is part of our law. But until the loan is due, any interest rate level can be charged. And I thought to myself, who would do that? And I came up with three categories. Maybe you can come up with others. The first category is somebody who has uh, a low credit rating and can't get a loan at a reputable place, a bank, a credit union, or the like. And so 
They're kind of relegated to this kind of usury site. The second group is the one I'm most concerned with, honestly, uh, because I think it is the most preventable. And that is an individual who has a buy now, pay later society mentality. This is our world. Buy now, pay later. Can you imagine what we're doing to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren? That's not a Republican or Democrat or independent statement. It's a financial statement. We are borrowing at an exorbitant amount and someone's got to pay it off. Somebody. Probably not somebody my age. Somebody younger. But we've begun to imitate this in our own homes. And we don't know the difference between a want and a need. And suddenly what is a want has become a need. I want it so I need it. And rather than save up until I can buy it, I buy now and I pay later. So I think that's the second category. The third category is the one that breaks my heart. It's the family that's very hardworking and very industrious, very careful with their money, but there's just not enough money and there's too much month. And that's the group we might help with benevolent. But I want to go back to that second group. That second group is talked about in Proverbs chapter 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Proverbs is not giving us the statement as this is the way it ought to be. It's giving this statement as don't allow this to be true in your life. The borrower is slave to the lender. And if we have this buy now, pay later mentality, we will become a slave to someone else. You can live at probably a 10% higher standard of living without a raise if you and I will stop paying interest, if we save up and then buy the car. You can do it. Four years before you need a car, make payments to yourself. It can be done. You may not be able to pay your mortgage off, but you can pay it off a lot quicker by putting $100, $200, above just for principal every month. It can be done. It can be done, and we will live at a higher standard of living. We will have more expendable income. We will be able to do more kingdom work if we can figure out the difference between a want and a need, and when it's a need, we will not buy until we can pay with cash. What does the text say? The borrower becomes a slave to the lender. Proverbs are maximums. They're truths of wisdom of how God expects the church to live. Well, the text is about not stealing, so if you're loaning somebody a usurious rate, that's stealing. If you're paying a usurious rate, be wise the next time. All of that is part of ganaf, stealing. What else might it include? 
It might include pirating music. That's stealing the artistic ability of someone else. Plagiarism is stealing. That is taking someone's term paper and turning it in or lifting from someone's term paper. One of my favorite denominations is the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. About 46,000 churches. I get it. I read the papers. They're in a little bit of rocky territory. I understand. But historically, I love the SBC. They stand strong on inerrancy and inspiration and the Godhead. And if you know anything about the SBC, every two years they elect a president, usually a pastor, and they just had their election. They had four men up, and I don't have a vote, but if I had a vote, my man didn't win. I knew who I wanted. He didn't win. So Ed Litton won. Ed Litton, I think, is probably a very good man. He's a pastor. But since his election, we've learned something that's very disturbing in his past. He stole sermons, a hundred of them. We know the number because they were removed from his church's website. This is what he did. He saw the last president, J.D. Greer, had done a sermon series on Romans. He listened to it, great. He probably learned from it, awesome. It's called research. And he wrote J.D. Greer and said, you know, I like those sermons so much. Can I use large sections of them? And J.D. Greer said, yes. That's integrity. But when he stood before his congregation, he didn't tell them he was preaching somebody else's sermon. That lacks integrity. I just noticed my buddy Rob out there a number of years ago. I won't mention names, besides you, Rob. Um, <laughs> Rob gave me a, uh, probably a tape back then. I mean, he's old. And he gave me a tape, and he said, this sermon is a winner. Listen to it. And so I listened to it, and I thought, man, I've heard that before. I've heard those illustrations. I've heard all of that before. And then I knew where. And so I went on the person who preached that sermon's website, and it was out of 1 Timothy, and I had a sermon series from a pastor out of 1 Timothy, and they didn't even change the titles. He preached the entire series and then took the illustrations and made them his own. And I called the pastor up, and I told him what I had discovered about his sermon series, and he figured that was the last day he was pastoring. His church showed him grace. The SBC is showing Ed Litton grace. But when you steal something, you steal it. You violate the Eighth Commandment. Now, this group probably doesn't know this, but our other campuses do. At least once a month, sometimes a little more often than that, since I manuscript, I give my sermons to some of my co-workers, and they preach it at the other three campuses. But they're men of integrity. And so they get in the pulpit, and they're allowed to alter it a little bit, not much. <laughs> Leave my sermon alone. And they say something like this. Today I'm going to preach Jeff's sermon. I've altered it a little bit. 
If there's something that you like in today's sermon, that's probably the part I altered. (laughs) If there's something you don't like, here is Jeff's email address. (laughs) They're men of integrity. Why do we do that? Because we want the same message at the campuses, because it takes about 30 hours to write a sermon, and why would four of us do that every single week when one of us could do it? But we also want live preaching, which is why they will preach the message, but they do it with integrity. If you're a school-age student and you're lifting somebody else's material, that's plagiarism. If you're cheating off of someone else's test, that's plagiarism. That's stealing. I don't have time to go into it today, But yet another application comes out of Malachi 3, 6 to to 12. God says that if we're not giving him the first fruits of our income, bringing it to the storehouse, which is actually the church, what is the language he uses? You rob me. That's the language God uses, Malachi 3, 6 to 12. Suddenly there's a lot of application to the eighth commandment. Well, I started with a baseball illustration. I'm going to conclude. It is the World Series after all. This comes from 1894. The Baltimore Orioles. The third baseman was John McGraw. He was a pretty good player, but he was a cheater. And in those days, they only had one umpire, so they couldn't see all that was going on. And sometimes when An opposing player would round third base. John McGraw would reach out and grab the guy's belt, hold on to him a little bit, slow him down, so he might get thrown out at the plate. And he kind of was doing this enough that he got a reputation. One particular time, Pete Browning was on second base. And Pete Browning knew what John McGraw would do, so he unbuckled his belt. And at the crack of the bat, he ran and he went around third base, and John McGrath grabbed his belt, and it came off, and Pete held up his pants as he ran home. (laughs) And everybody laughed in the stage, and there was John McGraw holding the belt. And apparently, he never did that again. (laughs) But I wonder, is it possible that John McGraw was a man of integrity in every area of his life, but not one. It's possible. Is it possible that some of us are women and men of integrity in in a lot of areas of our life, but maybe there's one or two that we have not been people of integrity? And we hear the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. And it really isn't about others. It's about our relationship with the Lord. And so today I want to think, okay, there's some areas where God has done some good work in my life and and there are some areas I need to confess, agree with the Lord and repent, turn from my sin and allow him to help me to shift those areas to the other side. That's what sanctification looks like. 
one of the reasons I want to go through the Ten Commandments is, yes, we all know them, though if I had you write them down, you and I probably get to seven or eight. And then if I had you do it in another week, we'd get to a different seven or eight and put them together. We got all ten. We know them. But we can't remember them. They're not at the tip of our finger. But they tend to be broader than we think. And there tends to be areas of application that I still need in my life. Maybe you as well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the Ten Commandments and Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20 and really almost in their entirety listed several other times in Scripture. Obviously, these are our words, these are commands that I need to apply, and they're broad commands, lots of application, lots of areas where we need to apply. Father, in those areas where you have empowered us to do well, praise the Lord. Lots of integrity out here, I can see it. But in those areas where maybe we have cut corners, pierce us by your Spirit, pierce us by your Word, and empower us by your Spirit to agree, confess, and to turn, repent, that we might become more and more like your Son. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.